Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Rob Longo. Hi, friends, and welcome to today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of the Charlotte Hornets, brought to you by Senta. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates are the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Hornets. Rob Longo with you today. After what ends up being a silver linings edition of the Hornets Hivecast, the Hornets fall 132-122 to against the Cleveland Cavaliers last night in the land, but that's basically the headline, but there's a whole lot of story to talk about. As the Hornets were down 10 with under a minute to go, were able to force overtime and got it to a second overtime. It was just a crazy game. We'll get you caught up on it in case you didn't watch. We'll provide you with our silver linings, and we got to talk about the latest story that hit Hornets.com yesterday as well. we got to talk about that with the one and only lead writer of Hornets.com. That is Sam Perley back again here on the Hornets Hivecast. Sam, just a crazy game yesterday. We got a lot to talk about from last night's loss, but it's one of those ones that you sit back and you kind of digest after a few minutes, and I'm sure we'll do this a lot more later on in the season as the days and the weeks go by, but man, what a crazy game last night. Yeah, still trying to catch my breath a little bit. Thank you, as always, for having me on. And uh, yeah, 50 minutes of action, usually 48. This was a double overtime, so plenty of basketball. Like you said, lots to dissect and uh, crazy. Sometimes it's just a, a player two away, and that's what so makes this sport so fun and also so painful sometimes as we were on a little bit of the painful side last night. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into a recap of this one, and I don't even want to talk about the first half because that wasn't even the story of the game. Just to have a quick 10-second synopsis, Cleveland led this one 28-14 after the first quarter. Charlotte trailed by 12 going into halftime 58-46. Third quarter was just all kinds of weird. At the end of the day, it ended up being an 82-70 to lead for the Cavs after the third quarter, but the Hornets come out on a 5-0 run. Cleveland counters with a 6-0 run. Not even four minutes into the third quarter, Mason Plumley had a weird... 58-second spurt where he got called for three fouls and maybe one of them was legitimate. The Hornets go on an 11-2 run. Kelly Oubre is going to put down this emphatic put-back dunk. Donovan Mitchell clearly puts his hand through the cylinder, which we're going to talk about here in a few moments later. It's not called. Oubre comes down, hits a three, barks at the ref, ends up getting a technical because of it at about the 435 mark of the third quarter, and the Cavs end the third frame on a 12-2 run. So at this point, the Hornets are down 12. Going into the fourth quarter, The Hornets started to chip away a little bit at this one. The Hornets had a 10-0 run to cut it to five with about five and a half minutes left to go in regulation. The Hornets then started to chip away a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then Donovan Mitchell hit a big three-pointer with a minute 45 left to make it a 101-91 to lead for Cleveland. That point, you're thinking, well, the Hornets are kind of stretching their luck a little bit. Charlotte, though, goes on a 12-2 run in the final 44 seconds, and Terry Rozier puts the game to overtime. Here we go, trying to free up Rozier. Terry in the corner, catches, fires for the tie. It's good! 0.5 seconds left. Terry Rozier ties it. Mitchell, three-quarter court heave. No! And we're going to overtime. The impossible has happened here in Cleveland from down 10 with 44 seconds left to a tie ball game. Buzz City is going to force an extra session with momentum wearing teal tonight. 
Charlotte outscores Cleveland 35-23 to in the quarter, and like I said, a 12-2 run in the final 44 seconds to force OT tied at 105. Both teams really came alive there in the first overtime period, each putting up 15 points. The Hornets led this one 120-117 to in the final 22 seconds. The ball stuck a little bit in the offensive end and ended up being a Darius Garland three with 13 seconds left to go to tie the game at 120 in the first overtime. Hornets didn't really get a good look on the other end, so we go to the second overtime. The one caveat in all this, too, Mason Plumlee fouls out not even 45 seconds into the first overtime, so the Hornets are without their starting center. Then more bad news as Charlotte has Kelly Oubre foul out at the 344 mark. At that point, it was only a 123-122 to Cleveland lead. The Cavs were able to stretch it out and go on a 14-2 run to end the game, and it ends up being a 132-122 to loss for the Hornets. Sam, there's a lot of specific plays in this one that could have gone one way or the other that you point back to and you think, well, if the ball bounced this way, the Hornets win. If the ball bounces this way maybe we don't even get to overtime but at the end of the day it just seemed like once again the mo of why the hornets lost last night was because of the injuries because at the end of the day you only have so deep of a bench kelly Oubre fouls out who ended up being your leading scorer you have mason Plumley to foul out he's your starting center obviously and at the end of the day just too much to overcome there in the final overtime period which ended up being the second overtime period of the game yeah, for sure. I think when you, anytime you play a double overtime game, it's obviously going to take a toll on you physically. And when you're down, the bodies that you're down, when you're down your starting point guard, your all-star starting point guard, uh, your best wing defender and Cody Martin, one of your other best defenders and Dennis Smith right now, it just, it's tough. I mean, I think you certainly saw that at the end of the double over T. They scored, I think it was an Ubre steal and slam, and then they didn't score the rest of the way. And you could just tell legs were kind of not there. And, you know, I think two things really stood out. Obviously, down 10 with 44 seconds left and, and to force overtime they hit threes on four of the next five possessions i mean oh just so close to pulling off one of the really really great comeback wins i think you know we've ever seen in, in quite some time with this team and uh that's just the tough part because you look back and i think you kind of at least personally at the time you look back at the overtime and man they were just you just get that rebound off the donovan mitchell three um when they had the three-point lead about 10 seconds left he hit the three and it, just kind of grazed the front of the rim and fell right into Mobley's lap, kicks it out to three to Garland, and he got a wide-open look. And uh, It's just tough. I mean, if you play 58 minutes and then it just takes a play or two to go the other way, that ends up swinging, swinging everything. So really impressed with the effort, really impressed with the, you know, resiliency they showed there in the fourth quarter. It's just – it stings a little bit because you just, you know, to go through all that and not to come out with a win is tough. But I uh, really like the fight in this one from the Hornets for sure. To put this one into some historical context, obviously the Hornets did not win. But if Charlotte would have been able to do that, it would have been something that wouldn't have happened in almost two decades. The last time a team won after being down double digits in the last minute of regulation was the Houston Rockets in 2004. That's when Tracy McGrady had that 13 points in 35 seconds to beat the Spurs, which was just absolute chaos, kind of rivals Reggie Miller scoring all those points in the final nine seconds as well for the Pacers back in the day. So would have been an absolute heroic effort. It was a heroic effort from Terry Rozier. It just would have put him among some of those top moments that we've seen in NBA history. But after the game, here's what T-Rose said about the comeback. You no, know, just staying with it. I think Nick Richards, he came in and gave us a big push in the glass and, you know, put backs and just playing strong. So we fed off that energy and then had a chance to win it. Terry on the day ends up going 11-33 from the field, but he had a big fourth quarter. He had a 10-point quarter in the fourth frame, 4-8 of from the field, and of course that game-tying three with five-tenths of a second left on the clock to force overtime. So T-Row 
again, just pulling out a lot of heroics in his native state of Ohio. Grew up in Youngstown, of course, went to high school in the Cleveland area as well. Always plays really good when he is in Cleveland in front of his family, and last night was no exception by any means. After the game as well, head coach Steve Clifford talked about where this game went right, where it went wrong, and where it was right in the middle. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, we got a little fatigued. Really, the big play was obviously up three. We got a stop, and and, uh, the ball kind of stuck there. So, to be honest with watching the film, we got a little bit unlucky. But I thought our guys uh, did a great job after the first quarter. Fourth quarter offense has been a problem tonight. It was terrific. I think two of the last three games where we played really good fourth quarter, so that's a good sign. Sam, that's a different sounding head coach Steve Clifford after last night's loss. We've heard him in the past pointing out the negatives. It seemed like after last night's game, he pointed out more of the positives that this team is heading in the right direction. And you kind of have to because of the way that the injury bug has bit them. The good news, though, was that Gordon Hayward returned last night and was a pretty big bright spot in the Hornets makeup of the game and of course we'll talk about that in our silver linings a little bit more but all in all I understand the frustration of this game but at the same time this team was basically left for dead in that final minute at least that's how I felt that's how Sam Farber felt on the broadcast so at the end of the day you can say whatever you want about this team but at the end of the day they're scrappy and they're not going to go without a fight for sure and I think it's, it's frustrating because you're so close and you you do kind of really the hard part. The hard part is scoring the 10 points in the 44 seconds to get it to overtime and to hit the four threes. I guess it was 12 points and hit all those threes. I mean, I felt like that's the hard part. And, like, all you got to do is get that rebound. And I don't think – if you look at the replay, I don't think it was the Hornets not getting it. I think it was more of it took a Cleveland bounce and they took advantage of it. And sometimes, like Coach Clifford said, it's just sometimes it's 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 a bad bounce. Sometimes luck doesn't go your way. Next time, maybe it goes the Hornets' way. So I thought it was what you said. It kind of reminded me of something he said before the game. You know, with all the injuries and everything that's going on, he said so much of what has happened to the Hornets this season in terms of the record, the way they haven't been able to finish some of these games. It just comes down to availability. They just don't have a lot of their guys, particularly the guys that they're missing are the ones that run their offense. Through. They didn't have Terry for two weeks. They've only had Lamelo for three games. They missed Gordon for eight games. He's back now. So. I think if you can have at least two of those guys present, if you can have at least two of Terry, Gordon, and LaMelo offensively, it's going to give you a – I mean, offense, I think, was you know has been a challenge these past couple of weeks. Looked really good tonight outside of maybe the first quarter. Didn't get going really until midway through the second. So, you know, he said basically if you understand why things aren't working, it's a little bit more – you know, you can, you can kind of deal with it a little bit easier if you kind of – put it in perspective and I think that's what he's kind of doing he's putting things in perspective right now this Cleveland team is really good I mean they started the year eight and one I know they're on a five-game losing streak but four of those losses were on the road four of them were by single digits I mean they could realistically have three all-stars um this season as well so you know it, it's frustrating because like I said they were so close but you know and you don't want to put too much of a moral victory spin on it but given the circumstances you gotta like the effort and it's sooner or later you keep playing like this things are gonna turn so I think that's kind of what he was taking away most at the end of the game this Cleveland team is a very tough matchup they got tall guys all over the place between Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and whoever else that can come off the bench as well so it's always a tough matchup against the Cavaliers especially after they go out and get an all-star and one of the top stars in the NBA like a Donovan Mitchell 
One more thing before we move on from this one, Sam, and I just want to kind of talk myself through this, not quite airing my grievances, but this is one of the bigger concerns that I have in this game. I talked about that play in the third quarter. Kelly Oubre comes down. He throws down a dunk. It was kind of a bang-bang play. Donovan Mitchell clearly reached his hand through the cylinder going through the net and punched the ball out. The ball is already coming down. It's goaltending because you can't do that. You can't reach your hand through the hoop. And Kelly Oubre was adamant about it. Nobody checked on it. Again, I understand that there are new rules in place this year when it comes to reviews, but I don't know the specifics on that. So I would like to get some clarification on that at some point where you talk about the blue light that is new this year, the blue light special that's on the scores table. It's supposed to light up to indicate to teams that Sakakis is looking at a play. It's under review and something will get changed at the next dead ball. They will announce that maybe a foot was on the line on a three, so now it's a two. Maybe it was a two that got changed into a three. Whatever it is, it seemed like it was one of those plays that clearly should have been reviewed or has the possibility to be reviewed. And when something like that happens... It's hard that you can't even challenge that as well because you can't just stop the play unless you're going to have a take foul or something like that or a transition foul, which are illegal now outside the last two minutes of the game. So you don't want to get penalized for something that the officials mess up per se. So the reason I say all this is because of the context. Like I said, the Hornets were on an 8-2 to run at that point. If that bucket counts... The Hornets probably go on a 10-2 to run. Now, again, this is all hypothetical. You don't know what's going to happen on the other end of the floor. Maybe Cleveland comes down and gets a three. But at the same time, after that possession, on a fast break, the Cavs blew the bucket. Kelly Oubre comes back, hits a three. So now all of a sudden, it's an 11-2 to run. So with that said, it could have been a 13-2 run in theory. The Hornets would have been down by five instead of seven, and Kelly Oubre was mad about the call, turns around and says something to the official. Official calls a technical, so then Cleveland is able to get a free free throw because Oubre was mad at the call. That happened with four minutes and 35 seconds left on the clock in the third quarter, and the Cavs, it just seemed like the momentum swung because Cleveland ended the quarter on a 12-4 run, Maybe Cleveland doesn't go up 12 points into the fourth quarter. Maybe Charlotte's able to cut into that deficit. At the end of the day, maybe we don't go to overtime because the Hornets are owed two points at some point down the line. Again, I understand it's a hypothetical. It changes the entire outcome of the game in that last couple of minutes because maybe Cleveland's not lackadaisical there down the stretch. Maybe the Hornets aren't pressing as much. Maybe they aren't trying to trap and foul as much as they are in that last two minutes. Maybe this is me just trying to air it all out and feel better because I don't go to my therapist as much as I should or anything like that. But that's the one thing in this game that kind of irked me a little bit. Yeah, and that was kind of weird. And to be honest, I didn't even really think about that play at the time. You saw it and you're like, oh, that's kind of a bad call. But you're not really, you kind of the way the game was going, you're down double digits for most of the game. And I didn't even really think about it until you brought it up. So thank you for that. But, you know, it obviously sticks out because it is so glaring. But You can plead the fifth here. It's okay. Yeah, I just there's so many plays over the course of a game. That one really sticks out because, one, it is so apparent on the replay and why it can't be reviewed is kind of confusing. And then you look at a game that went into double overtime. I mean, one bucket or one point is certainly going to be the difference. I think, you know, just off the top of my head, strictly from a mathematical perspective, if the Hornets had tied the game at 105-105, I think on that PJ3, they're probably not trapping and trying to get a steal the other end from the Cavaliers on their possession that originally forced uh, led into the Terry corner three-pointer to tie it. So you just never know how these things kind of transpire. I think kind of the bigger question is not looking at that basket in the context of the overtime, how this game went to overtime twice, but why can a play like that not be reviewed at the moment? 
and why can't play going to be stopped or if a foot is on the three-point line. I'm still kind of unclear on how that stuff necessarily works. I think that's kind of the bigger question. But if that play happens in the final minute or so, obviously it's a much, much bigger deal. But with 16 minutes left in the game, and you know, it was a 12, 13, 14-point game, and obviously it didn't weigh as much at the time. Again, now looking back, you're like, oh, man, wonder if that got called. Who knows how things work out? So that's kind of my take on it. I know Festivus isn't for a couple more weeks, but apparently I'm going to air my grievances ahead of time. We talked way too much about this game, so we got to move on. But the Hornets fall in double overtime last night, 132 to 122. Now fall to 4-13 and on the season, just 1-9 and in the month of November. So the calendar cannot flip to December quickly enough here for the Hornets. Again, 132 to 122, the final score. We still got to talk about our silver linings. That comes your way next here on the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta. Cataracts made it hard to see clearly. Even movies were blurry. So I went to Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. Now movies are as clear and sharp as they once were. The doctors at Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates offer cataract surgery using the newest technology and lenses with short recovery times. See like you once did. Schedule your appointment today at ceenta.com slash appointments. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. They just make sense. Rob Longo and the lead writer of Hornets.com. Sam Pearly with you here on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Thank you for tuning in wherever you get your podcast from. And it's time now for our silver linings after last night's loss. And again, there are a lot of silver linings in this one. The fight that the Hornets had going down the stretch cannot be overstated by any means, especially with this team that continues to be shorthanded. So with all that said, I will always defer to you. Mr. Pearly, who would you like for your silver lining from last night's loss? Yeah, I'm going to go with Terry Rozier. You know, he always shows out in front of his hometown, obviously played really well last night, 28 points. You know, he's been kind of up and down a little bit since he came back from the ankle injury, had the big shots, and in, obviously at the end of the fourth quarter, 28 points, five rebounds, five assists. I mean, just really, really kind of kept the Hornets in. I think he hit two threes in that 12-2 stretch at the end of the fourth quarter, too. So without Terry, you know, this probably doesn't go to overtime last night, too. So uh, he was my silver lining for the Hornets. Charlotte's going to try and go two for one. Rogier sets the screen from Washington. Rogier picked up his dribble, gives to Gordon. Gordon back to Terry for three in the lead. It's good! Rip the net cord! Youngstown's finest! comes back home and puts the Hornets up three with 22.5 left in overtime. Oh, what a self-correction. Charlotte wanted to go two for one. It got blown up. Little two-man game. Gordon Hayward to Terry Rozier, and he threads the needle. Biggest three of the night. Three after three, the T-Row was hitting, just became the biggest three of the night. You had the one that sent the game to overtime at 105. You have that one to put the Hornets up at 120 to 117 late in that first overtime period with about 22 seconds left to go. And again, the ball just bounces the bad way on an awkward Donovan Mitchell shot. Darius Garland's able to pick up the pieces and hit a three with 13 seconds to go in that first overtime to force the second overtime. And of course, the Hornets just could not hang on from there with two of their starters fouling out of the game. You know, Mason Plumlee happening in the first overtime period, Kelly Oubre happening in the second overtime period. So Terry Rozier, definitely a good silver lining from last night. I have no problem with that pick by any means. Goes 11-33 from the field, 5-18 beyond the arc. Only went to the free throw line once in last night's game. Five rebounds, five assists as well for 28 points for Terry Rozier. For me, my silver lining, I thought about Kelly Oubre just because of the way he was able to shoulder the load last night, but I'm going to go with somebody else that returned to the lineup for the first time in a long time. That was Gordon Hayward. Mobley cross-court to Stevens. 
He'll jump into lane. Outside for Mobley. Mobley attacks. Lost the handle. Washington the steal. P.J. Washington, the Hornets with numbers. Ahead to Hayward. In the corner. Fires for three. Yes. Gordon Hayward drilling another Lowe's three-point shot. His second of the game. 5-0 run here for the Hornets. It was the first time Gordon's played in eight games. The last time he was in action was all the way back at the beginning of November on the second against the Chicago Bulls where he did injure that shoulder a little bit and has been nursing that injury since. But the fact that he started the day at doubtful, then got upgraded to questionable, then was able to get out there on the floor and provide what ended up being pretty hefty minutes when it was all said and done. He only scored 13 points. He was 5 of 14 from the field, 2 for 4 beyond the arc. He was very selective. Six rebounds and what ended up being a team high and a game high seven assists he was able to dish the ball out there on the floor as he played 37 minutes last night here's what Gordon said after the game on his return to the floor I'm definitely a little tired didn't expect it to be double overtime first game back but you know I think it was good first game trying to find my rhythm out there we gave ourselves a chance to win Before the game started, Sam, Steve Clifford said that Gordon Hayward at 80% is better than some of the reserves at 100%. And that's not a knock on anybody on the Hornets roster. That's just the reality of the situation. The guy is a former All-Star. He got a max deal for a reason. The team is above 500 when he plays since he's got here in Charlotte for a reason. So the fact that Gordon Hayward was able to get back out on the floor last night, led the team in assists, was a plus 7 and a plus minus he is the reason why he is my silver lining from last night. Yeah, I thought he was, you know, exactly what the Hornets needed at times during the, the particular the second half and late fourth quarter, just kind of stabilizing things a little bit. Everything was happened so fast, you kind of forgot that Gordon hadn't played in a while, but he looked pretty good. You know, like you said, 13 points. Uh, the seven assists actually, I think, tied a season high as well, too. So even though he wasn't the most efficient in terms of shooting, uh, which I think kind of P.J. Kelly and Terry were taking on the scoring low. They combined for almost, or I think they combined for 90 points. Uh, it's good to see Gordon kind of get involved in the offense. And, and like I said in a previous quote, I think if you have Terry and Gordon, if you have two of Terry, Gordon, and LaMelo, it can, it's really going to help this offense. Obviously having all three is ideal, but having at least two of those guys to kind of play off each other and initiate stuff is really, really what the Hornets need to kind of keep this offense going. I mean, the, you know, they shot 40%, 30% from three, not fantastic, but they got to the line a lot and they scored a lot off of turnovers in the fast break. So as long as those two guys can stay on the floor, they'll be able to kind of weather this LaMelo absence, hopefully, which isn't as long as it was last time. One other thing to mention as well, and we didn't even talk about this on a broadcast last night outside of the inactive report, but Dennis Smith Jr. remains to be sidelined with an ankle injury as well. So even if DSJ can return for tomorrow's game in Washington, that would be a huge boost for the defense as well. Maybe some of those bigs that got in some foul trouble yesterday. I know it's against Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, some of the best bigs in the association. Maybe they're able to cut down on some of that help defense and they don't get in foul trouble. And the Hornets in general, I understand it's you're playing an extra 10 minutes of basketball, but the foul trouble was certainly an issue for Charlotte last night. So even just one more piece for the Hornets coming back on Sunday would be a huge boost for this team. Once again, the Hornets fall in double overtime last night, 132 to 122. We got one more segment to go on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. This one's a little bit more lighthearted. We're going to talk about the latest article on Hornets.com written by Sam Perley next, right here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, it's time to get some new gear. The best selection of new and classic Hornets apparel is at the Hornets Fan Shop, now with new extended hours. Stop by Spectrum Center Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. to pick up the latest in jerseys, Jordans, and more. 
or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 with just a click of a button at HornetsFanshop.com. An easy trip on the light rail, you'll be sure to find something for everyone at the Hornets Fan Shop. Sam Perley, the lead writer of Hornets.com, and myself, Rob Longo, with you here, putting a button on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Senta. And Sam, you posted one of these stories just the other day on Hornets.com. It's titled, Your Favorite Hornets Favorite Athlete, in parentheses, in another sport. So this is a fun, little bit more of a lighthearted article. Talks about some of the players on the Hornets roster that admire players on other teams in a different sport as well. So just to kind of give the rundown a little bit here, not to spoil the whole thing, but LaMelo Ball's favorite player in another sport is Lamar Jackson. Terry Rozier with an interesting pick, I thought, and Serena Williams, but definitely a very admirable one. Kelly Oubre Jr. with a couple of interesting ones as well. Valentino Rossi and Tyron Matthew talk about a combination between motorcycle racing and the National Football League. Kai Jones picked a fellow native of Bahamas. That's Jazz Chisholm Jr. and he's a very good second baseman for the Marlins, one of the up-and-coming stars in the MLB. Gordon Hayward picked Roger Federer, legendary tennis player. Mark Williams decided to pick TJ Watt, which as a native Pittsburgher, I am more than okay with that. Nick Richards selected Cristiano Ronaldo, and if you know any background on Nick Richards before he really picked up basketball in Jamaica. He was a goalkeeper on the soccer teams in his local area in Kingston. So Cristiano Ronaldo certainly makes sense there. And Dennis Smith Jr. picked Derwin James and Jalen Ramsey of the NFL. So Sam, I really enjoyed this little write-up and you give some explanations on why they picked this player and that sort of thing. So I was just wondering if there were any other backstories that didn't quite make the cut that you thought were quirky or interesting and what you thought of some of these selections. Yeah, this is just kind of something that it stems from the preseason or the media day questionnaire that we give the players and they fill out all different answers and responses to various categories, favorite restaurant, favorite shoe, favorite best friend in the NBA, things like that. And just using those to kind of generate some fun kind of quirky stuff, like you said. And uh, I didn't really follow up with any of the players on why they picked the specific athletes. So we had a bunch of players that, you know, that filled it out or that I just, you know, I just took a handful of them and, and thought, tried to, which ones that I could draw kind of the easiest correlations to, I just took a stab at as why or why this might be their favorite athlete in another sport or what kind of similarities do they have. And uh, yeah, just kind of a little, you know, a little bit different thing. Like you said, Nick Richards, you know, former soccer player, Dennis Smith, you know, I think there's some kind of tendencies that he plays with on the court. That's similar to a cornerback or a, or a safety like Derwin James, Jan Ramsey, you know, getting deflections, catching passes midair and kind of taking them the other way, like a pick six. Uh, Gordon Hayward was a former tennis player in high school as a two-time all-state player and, you know, kind of plays the game a little bit like Roger Federer, the very kind of calculated and, and precise in what they do. Kai Jones, obviously the Bahamas Connections is a, a an easy one. And both those guys are one of very few players from the Bahamas in their respective sports. So, um, yeah, kind of a fun one. Obviously the LaMelo Ball, Lamar Jackson one, I think is kind of a really cool one because just the way they both play, as you know, being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you've gotten to see Lamar Jackson a lot. And there are a lot of tendencies, you know, just kind of when you think you have them, you don't, and they kind of create something out of nothing. And, you know, they're so quick and, and, you know, one minute they're doing this and the other minute they're doing that. So yeah, just kind of a fun, something different. And hopefully we can pull some more from those questionnaires this year and, and kind of really dive into some of the guys and their interests away from the basketball court. So this article got me thinking, Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot here. One of the questions I had about this article was, was it limited to just current athlete or was it all time athlete? Because a lot of these guys are current athletes. Yeah, I I think it was open to anything. Uh, There really wasn't any sort of specific requirements. Kelly Oubre Jr. 
Uh, one of his was a, a motorcycle, a Grand Prix motorcycle racer from Italy that I believe is retired now. Serena Williams is now retired. Roger Federer is now retired. So, you know, I think generally, you know, you, you know, your favorite athlete or, you know, you're, the favorite athlete you grew up watching, they're becoming your favorite athlete because you're watching them play. So for the most part, everyone was pretty much in sort of the time frame, I guess, of actively watching their favorite athlete in other sports. So nobody really from a really kind of, you know, 70s or 60s or anything like that. So one more question before I let you go here on today's edition of the Hornet Tivecast. Sam, this, of course, got me thinking a lot of players generating their favorite athlete from another sport. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Who is your favorite athlete from a different sport outside basketball? I won't give you any restrictions on this. Could be all time, could be current, whatever you want. Well, the first name that comes to mind for me is uh, growing up doing year-round competitive swimming, swimming in the summer and then, you know, in high school and then going on to swim in college. I kind of distinctly remember the 2000 Sydney Olympics was a really kind of like that sporting event that really, really kind of sparked the swimming interest. And that was down in Sydney, Australia. And I just remember watching Ian Thorpe, 17 years old at the time, Australian swimmer, kind of regarded as one of the greatest freestylers of all time. I think he was gold medalist, double or triple gold medalist in those games, won a few more golds in Athens. Just that was kind of the guy for me that really, really ignited my fire in swimming. I love he had the full body suit, just had this beautiful stroke, just real everything about him. Every the way he swam, it was just amazing absolutely amazing i even have staring at right now in my house i have a a framed like panoramic view of him winning the gold medal in the 400 free at the sydney 2000 olympic games so that was kind of my guy growing up i really really loved watching ian thorpe i wish he had swum for a lot longer he kind of i think retired after the athens games but that was the guy that really really got me hooked on swimming awesome story i'm glad i was able to jog some memories for you here sam and if you want to take a deeper dive into it it's titled your favorite hornet's favorite athlete in parentheses, in another sport, written by Sam Perley, the lead writer of Hornets.com, who once again joined me on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Sam, I know it was a little bit of a heartbreaker last night, but thanks again for hopping on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast with me. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, yeah, tough one, but I like what I'm seeing. I know it's not there in the winds right now, but we're going to get there. You just They're on the right track. It's some healthy bodies, and it's going to come around. I believe in it. Certainly will, and the Hornets have a next opportunity to do it tomorrow in our nation's capital against Washington, D.C. It will be a 6 p.m. airtime on the Hornets Radio Network. Myself and Sam Farber will get you set with tomorrow's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, previewing that one for you as well. For Sam Perley, I'm Rob Longo saying so long. Thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of the HHC, and we'll see you tomorrow once again on the Hornets Hivecast. Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit hornets.com.